John chapter 13 today, all right? John chapter 13. We're going to do something a little bit different over the next four weeks. So what we're going to do as uh, if you guys know, um, Wednesday starts uh, our season of Lent, you know, so as we go into that and headed into Easter, what I wanted us to do was take a look at what's going up and leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. So as we do that, as we enter into this time frame, I thought of a, a different way to do this. So what we're going to do is we're going to, I've looked at the, the Holy Week. We've looked at all the different things over the course of ministry and a, of my time as a pastor and stuff. But one of the greatest things that I've seen is, is and when I looked and I say the word of God, is really what transpires in the last 24 hours as Jesus Christ is headed to the cross. And so basically what we're going to do is we're going to do some chronological stuff, looking at all the Gospels. We'll be in John May because the majority of the book of John spends, uh, in fact, basically the last half to over that, spends time looking at just this last week leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and then what takes place a little bit after, uh, after that time. So we're going to be in the book of John, but we're going to look at all the Gospels. If you have an opportunity, I'm going to give you over the course of the next three or four weeks, all right, a ton of Scripture. I'm just, just no way that I'm ever going to be able to give you all these passages and read all of this on Sunday morning. So what I would like for you to do is you're going to have homework, all right? You're just going to have to go home and you're going to have to put these things together yourself. And even this morning, there's going to be extra scriptures and different things that we'll talk about um, as we go through this this morning. But the first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at what takes place starting at 6 p.m., on Thursday to 3 a.m. on Thursday, uh, on Friday morning, okay, so early Friday morning. So this time is when uh, the Passover would begin. So if you know anything about uh, the clock of how they would do things, it was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. was daytime, and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. was nighttime, and that's the way they always looked at it no matter what was going on, no matter, I guess, where the sun was up or whether the sun was down. But in that time, that's how they started their day, and that's how they ended their day. So day started at 6 a.m., night started at 6 p.m., okay? So it's very important for us to know this as we head in and look at these 24 hours. So as 6 p.m. arrives, they're gathering together for the Passover. Now, look, there's, this is also in conflict in, in the Jewish nation at this time, uh, the people of Israel, of how they celebrated this. Some would celebrate this on Thursday. Some did not start the celebration until Friday, Okay, so they looked at it and saw it in different ways of how the Passover was even celebrated. Okay, so this particular group, the group that Jesus had, and then this is what we're going to go with, all right, with the disciples and the apostles, they started on Thursday night at, at 6 p.m. So they would be gathered together for the Passover, the Passover meal and the Passover celebration together. So this is where we're going to pick this up in John chapter 13 is and see how this comes together. Now, this nine-hour period is what we're calling the time of confession. We're going to look at it from two different uh, pictures, all right? You're going to look at this and see what's going on in the life of Christ, but I want you to also see what's going on in the life of Judas, okay? And this is very important because this is when his role comes in, and we see how uh, what Satan, our, the evil one, has done to him and see how that transpired because it's very important to us today as we go through life every single day because Scripture tells us that we have an enemy. We don't live as though we have an enemy anymore. We don't think anybody's out there to attack us, but our enemy is seeking to destroy us is what Scripture says, okay? So this is a time of confession. We're going to look first and foremost at God's plan, what God's plan is here. So now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved 
his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, already having put his heart into Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. So we see what's going on here. There's a, they're going to do the Lord's Supper. Or they're going to have the Passover together. What we would celebrate today is the Lord's Supper. And it says already that Judas had set in his heart to betray him. So if you'll go down a little bit, let me give you this, what's transpired there. We'll look at Judas. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So in Luke 22.3, now Luke gives more of a chronological order. So if you go and read Luke, you're going to kind of catch things as they happen in order, more so than John does. John gives us events, okay? And some of them are based around statements that Jesus made. They're called the I Am statements, where Jesus makes these proclamations and statements. So a lot of the book of John is built around that. So it's built around the statements. Luke is writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to everybody else outside the Jewish nation, and he's trying to show them what was taking place, and he wrote it in what's more of a chronological order. So he says that in Luke chapter 22 that Satan entered into uh, Judas the day earlier, okay? And so this is important for us to understand. When things happen in our lives, when we get our mindset off of Jesus Christ, we get our mindsets off the gospel, we, give, we open ourselves up for opportunity from the enemy, and the enemy is looking to seek and destroy us. In fact, the John 10.10 10 says, what? That he is coming to steal, kill, and destroy us. And Jesus says that I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. He's telling them about what's happening. He knows that it's time for him to go to the cross. In fact, if you go and look in Luke, beginning in Luke chapter 9, it says that they came off the Mount of Transfiguration, and I guess it's around verse 50, 52, 53, somewhere right around in there. It says that Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration with James, John, and Peter, and he resolutely set in his mind to head to the cross. So when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, he was headed to the cross. Everything that you see in the book of Luke from that point on is Jesus headed to the cross. All right? You got to understand at that point, Jesus knew what his marching orders were, that his time had come. So as they're sitting down to take this meal, he knows that it's time for him. Now, a lot of us would sit back and we'd think, I just really would like to know that how it's going to end for me. So I'd have time to prepare. I'd have all of this and I'd do all of that. Would you really? Because sometimes it makes us think and it makes us go through things and emotions. So we're going to see this with Jesus himself during this time of confession right here. So the first thing he does is he sets all these guys down and he has a meal with them. And he confesses to them that he knows what's about to transpire and to take place. So he begins to tell them, how do they respond to this? They don't respond like they even know or have a clue what's going on. In fact, in one particular case, this one person that he knows is the one who's going to betray him, is, is among them, and he's known this from all along. So the first thing I want you to see is that our enemy comes to, to steal things from us. So when you look at this in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, and then you couple that also with John, I believe it's John chapter, what did I put down in there? Ch chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. You'll see that Judas had the money box. Judas was in charge of all of this at the, as for the ministry, and as they went around and they took up donations and stuff, and they all knew 
that he was taking money. So they've known from the beginning that he was a thief. Satan comes to steal from us and to rob from us. And it, he takes a whole lot more than money. He steals our joy. He steals our purpose. He actually can steal the very life from us because he gets our focus and our mindset on the things that are not our above. So as Jesus is gathered around and he's having this meal with his disciples, he's pouring in, but there's one amongst them. Am I speaking to you this morning? Are you the one amongst us that has your heart separated from what God wants? Because if we have our heart and our minds separated from what God wants, we're not in any way, shape, form, or fashion, no matter what words come out of our mouth, no matter what we have gone through in our last part of, of our history of our life, whether we've been baptized, whether we've walked an aisle, or whether we've said a prayer, are we going to be living what God wants us to live? We're a deceiver. So when we go out into the world, we're going to be deceiving those who are around us. And look, there's so many things that get in, in, in the way in, in between all of this. Well, look, I walked to Iowa when I was a kid. I gave my life to Jesus. People in this church right here know that I've been baptized and, and they've seen all of that. There's no way that I can go down front and confess my sins all over again. You can't be saved twice. No, you haven't been saved. If there's no transformation in your life then you have, there's no salvific experience. God says, remember when I told you that story in the gospel? That that water was stirred. The next person that got in that water, a miracle was performed in their life. So all of these folks who had all of these things, diseases, lepers, all this stuff, they gathered around this pool all the time waiting for God to come and to stir that water. And then they would go get in and they would be healed and they'd be made whole. A miracle's performed. That's transformational. If that transformation has never happened in your life, there's nothing salvific about the experience that you've had. So don't fool yourself. Don't say to yourself that I'm walking with Jesus. Judas was walking with Jesus. But he was not being godly in any way, shape, form, or fashion in anything that he did. And they've known it for a long time. You're not fooling anybody. Jesus knows it. It's a time of confession. You need to get it right. Why do we need to get it right? Because we are a soul. Every single one of us is a soul created by God to return back to God. That's our job, to live for him here, to go back to him and spend eternity with him. We don't have this experience while we're here. If we don't have something transformational in our life while we're here, then we're separated from him. Man, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't get any easier for Judas. All right? Second thing I want you to see is God's prophecy. I'm going to say this. Ethan's in the back, right? All right. So we're getting ready to get in the pool. And he goes, can I take my shoes off? Or do I need to take my shoes off? I said, yeah. He said, my feet are ugly. <laughs> I was like, man, nobody's going to see your feet. Did y'all see his feet? He was worried about us looking at his feet. We're worried about the feet, aren't we? Now, look. We're Baptists. 
There are other forms of the Baptist church that have multiple different things that are added to what we would call communion, all right? And then also baptism. Those are the sacraments for us. One of the sacraments in some of the Baptist churches is what? Foot washing, all right? Back up. I'm not going to pull out a towel. But beware, when you come in here and see a bunch of white ones up here, and you're thinking, oh, man, my feet are a mess. It's not about your feet. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. So I then, the Lord, the teacher, washed your feet. So you ought to wash the feet of one another. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen But it is up to the scripture so that it may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus knew. Jesus washed the feet of all of his children. And he washed the feet of his betrayer. Now I don't know if you know anything about this and what's going on culturally. But when you would walk into a house, the lowest of all the servants had a towel, and he stood at the door. Hey, there ain't no paved roads. There ain't no Nikes or Adidas. Your toes were exposed in sandals. And all the roads were dirt and mud and junk. So when you walked into that house, the lowest of all the servants was at the door to wash your feet. That was the worst job there was in the household. And the Savior of all the world picked up that towel and did that for his disciples. Now, look, I'm not going to give you all this. You've got to go and read in different places. But how did Peter respond to that? Peter says, you're not washing my feet. He's like Ethan. My feet are nasty, man. I don't like my feet. You're not washing them. Jesus said what to him? If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And then Peter turned around and said, wash what? Wash all of me. Wash all of me. There are things about our life that we carry around. They bring regret to our life, and they bring remorse to our life. We're ashamed of them. We don't want anybody to know anything about them. We kind of hide them away. We're scared if someone does find out that they would know the true who we are. Hey, this is every single one of us. We call them sometimes skeletons in our closet or whatever we want to call them. Everybody tries to, the world will use that against us, call us a hypocrite, all these things. It's just sin. It's a sin. It's a different sin than other folks, but guess what? Everybody's got them. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got a closet full of them. 
but remorse and regret don't get it. It means that we have to have repentance. Spiritually, that's defined to us as to turn and go the opposite direction. It means you leave all of those things behind and then you become something new. So here's the second part of this. Jesus gives them transformation. The communion comes into us. It says it's a time of examination. And then what it does for us after that is transformational. A relationship with God is transformational. It takes us from who we were and transforms us into who God would have us to be. That's a difference. And as Jesus speaks these things to everybody, think about this. In the next few hours, Peter, who stands up and says, you ain't washing my feet, or then he turns around and says, wash all of me, is going to betray Jesus, what? Three times. But you need to pick it up and go to the end of this book and see when in, in John chapter 25, uh, 21, God restores him how many times? Three times. God's got this. In fact, he knows all of your sin. He knows the sin of Judas. He knows it. The difference is, are you willing to repent of it? To lay aside the regret and the remorse and give it over to him. Because that is what's transformational. If you hold on to it, the thief will steal and kill. It will kill you. It will kill you. I don't know how it's going to kill you. God says this in scripturally, that all of our sins will become known. Now, you may get away with it on this side, but one day you'll stand before the feet of the Father and you've got to give an account of your life. And if you have lived that separated from him, then that is eternal separation. At that point, there's nothing you can do about it. Go read Luke chapter 16. Rich young ruler and a guy named Lazarus. Read that story. See how that goes. Once the rich man got over there, it, the chasm could not be crossed. There was separation from God, and it is eternal. He said, go tell my brothers. And what did the Lord reply back to him? They have the same opportunity that you had. Same opportunity. We got to know this. We have to see it for what it is. It is a time of confession. Don't allow this. Don't allow your pride and your arrogance because of something that you have regret and remorse over in your past to separate you eternally from the Father. Go read Psalm 51. Homework, homework, homework. Go find all this. David was unrepentant. Psalm 51 is his psalm of repentance. He says, wash me clean. You know all my transgressions. What has he done? He has killed. He's had adulterous affairs. He's, he's tried to cover it up. He's lied. He's bared false witness. He's broken all of these commandments that have to deal with 
horizontally with other people. He just crushed it. But God said he was a man after his what? Own heart. And he was a big enough man to repent of his sins. Don't let it kill you because it will kill you. Judas. Matthew chapter 27 verses 3 through 8. So after all this goes down, I'm going to jump for him to after all this all goes down. So they gave him money for all this, right? So to betray, we're going to see the betrayal in just a few minutes. But they gave him money to do it. And at the end, he goes back and he what? What does he do with the money? He throws the money back in the coffers to give the money back. That was regret. That was remorse. That was not an act of repentance. Those same Jewish leaders who had led him to that point, they could not offer salvation to him. He never went to Jesus and ever repented. Do you get it? This is why he is condemned. He is condemned, it says, to a field, potter's field. Nobody wants that. It's a burial place for those who no one knows or cares about at all. And that's where he is. That is a picture to us of that separation. It's a wonderful life. The guy's name is Mr. What? The guy, the evil guy, the bad guy. What's his name? Mr. Mr. Potter. His subdivision he sees in that is called what? Does anybody remember? Potter's Field. Last thing I want you to see is God's pressure. This is really important. I don't care who you are, even Jesus. God turns up the heat on our lives. He turns up the heat on our lives to really find out who we are. Are we who we say we are? Do we believe what we say we believe? John chapter 13, verse 21, and then verses 26 and 27. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Jesus then answered, And this is the one from whom I shall dip this morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to Jesus, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. Second time we see this, right? I mean, think about this. He's talking about the evil one actually, what? Entering into him, taking him over. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And then we're going to pick it up again, all right? Um, This is actually going to be from Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus came to them in a place called Gethsemane. So they leave that room and then they go into the garden, right? And he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took him, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John. Everywhere they went, it was Peter, James, and John. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. 
And he went a little beyond them. And he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet, not as I will, but as you will. What is he thinking? He's probably thinking in his humanity, there's so much more left to do. These guys are not ready. There's so many things. I, I, I can touch so many more lives. Just leave me here a little longer. Let me minister. I can, this can be corrected. But God knows our sins. And God knows why he sent him. And he went again a second time and he prayed. Saying, my father... If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found him. Now, look, I didn't read about this, but he's already found him sleeping once, right? So then he comes back the second time and he finds him sleeping again. For their eyes were heavy. Why? Because it's early in the morning. Unless you work the night shift, you're not staying up. I can't make it till 11. How about you? How many of you have actually seen a New Year's? You've stayed up till 12 o'clock and rolled that baby in. You are awesome. You are awesome. I haven't made it in forever. This past year, I made it all the way to 1130, and I said, I can't make it. I just, I can't do it. Woohoo! It's New Year. I'm going to bed. I mean, I made it that close, but I couldn't do it. And again, he came, and he found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy, and he left them again, and he went and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. And then in 46 through 50, he says, Get up. Let us be going. And the one who betrays me is at hand. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up to him. Uh, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs. And he came from the chief priests and elders of the people. And he who was betraying them gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately Jesus, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, do what you have come for. And then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And at this point, Judas has destroyed his life. The enemy has totally destroyed him. He's now known as the son of perdition. Scripture tells us that Jesus saved them all, less what? The one, the son of perdition. And if you read in John 17, 12, that's how Judas is described, and it means one who is destined to perish. He ain't an enemy of God. There was no road back. I want to tell you, whoever's in this room right now, if you're in this room, you're not there. You may think you're there. You may find it inconceivable how you could ever get back. But you're not there. And you're not there because God has brought you here today. And if you are here today and you have been a part of what we just saw, either through baptism or through song or through opening up the word of God, God is still waiting for you. 
You are sitting by the pool. And the waters have been stirred. My question to you as I close this today, are you going to be the first one in? Are you going to just sit there and wait till the next time? I'm going to be honest with you. And we've talked about this. There haven't been a baptism in this church in four years. I don't want to wait four more years. But I don't know when the Lord's going to stir the water again. Are you ready today? Because the road the other way, oh, it's a destructive mess. And scripture goes on to say, you know what? You're going to take other people there with you. What did the rich young ruler say when he got there in Luke 16? He said, go back and tell my brothers. Why was he worried about them? Because they were in the same spot he was. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for Ethan. I thank you for the life example that he set forth. I thank you for his enthusiasm. I've never, ever, ever in all of my years of ministry seen someone so eager to be baptized. He has waited. He has known you, but he has waited for this time in his life, this day. And Father, I thank you so much for just the opportunity to be able to be in there with him and to celebrate with his family. Lord, I pray that you pour your Holy Spirit out upon him. I've heard from his family so many times about the things that he's already said and done. You have great plans for him. I pray, Father, that has been prayed already by Al, that we will be godly people around him and that we will be used as instruments to help mold and to shape him and his family. Lord, I pray if there's any separation from you today that we will close that gap and we will repent of our sins and then we will allow you to transform our lives lead God and direct us now as you see fit these things we pray in Jesus name amen we're going to stand together and sing the altars